Hello, and welcome to Love That Movie Podcast. I'm Ellen, as always, and I'm here with a guest to talk about a movie they love, um, whether it be an all-time favorite or a recent one that um, they're really excited about. I'm very excited uh, this week to be joined by friend of the show, uh, host of his own podcast called Spoiler Alert, Mike Plasic. How's it going, Mike? It's going great, Ellen. Nice to be talking with you again. You've gotten to guest on the podcast that I do with Danny a couple of times now, and mm-hmm. I'm really happy to be here on yours. Well, I'm excited too. <laughs> this is nice. Uh, so far, I've been able to kind of reach out to all my podcast contacts and just keep the show going. So it's been a it's been a real pleasure. I've listened to several of the episodes, and I'm really enjoying it. I think that the discussion gets very spirited and fun, and uh, I've been happy that all of the episodes you've done so far are movies that I know, um, whether whether I only saw them once, once upon a time, or recently it's a mad, 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 mad world, which is one of my favorites of all time. So that was that was a great one. Nice. Well, I'm glad. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun to record. Some of them I've never seen before. Some of them are ones I've enjoyed a lot. Um, so it's so far it's been a lot of fun for me as well. Um, but yeah, so. Uh, I have been on your podcast a couple times. Uh, most notably, I was on uh, to talk about Parasite, where like months ahead of time, I called it as best picture. Uh, it was a bold record. prediction. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> let the record reflect. <laughs> <laughs> and I crushed the Oscar ballot, uh, the Oscar pool ballot this year, but did not pick Parasite. And I don't know if you actually picked it for your ballot or just called it way way ahead of time that you think that it's the movie that should have won and we're thinking that night something else would have, but I was certainly shocked. You called yeah. it months ahead of time. Yeah, well, my faith in the Academy varies. Uh, so I'm sure my thought process was like, this should win and it might if it's a year like, you know, like the year Moonlight won, sure. no one thought that would win. And then we turn around and things and then Green Book wins it next year. So who who the hell knows what's going to happen? But yeah, I was very, very pleasantly surprised. I think all of us, uh, a lot of us movie lovers who are at Oscar viewing parties were all jumping in their seats being like, oh, my God, Parasite. Yeah. Yeah. I, so. uh, I actually restarted watching that one the other night as well. I didn't get a chance to finish it because it was late, but Boy, that is a fantastic movie, man. <laughs> it's so different. Yeah. I think I've watched it like yeah three times now, and it's it's perfect. It's perfection, absolute yeah. perfection. Uh, looking forward to um, the rumored, or is it even not even rumored? It's happening like a, a American adaptation miniseries for HBO. I've heard of it. Yeah. I, I mean, I've heard that that was going to happen, though I haven't researched or confirmed. To me, it was just a rumor. Yeah. I th- I think I heard that Bong Joon-ho is involved, but we shall see. Yeah. We'll see what happens. No, nothing is really in production right now anyways. With That's the, right. Yeah. With everything we, being shut down, so. Which is why it's so comical that some movie theaters are able to reopen at, like, partial capacity, I feel like. Maybe at least for the what? summer. <laughs> maybe for the summer, if, like drive-in theaters could open up and you could park every other slot They've and then open. like rerun some classics that would be sort of cool they have been in in texas like obviously in wisconsin they have not been but yeah and uh so there's a drive-in movie theater in ennis which is like an hour south of here okay. and it has stayed open but they should be showing classics because the only thing that they were able to show was 
trolls right. or the Invisible Man or what was that one uh, about people being uh, hunted? Onward was one that was, oh, I think, out at one. the time. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if drive throughs are going to be the only thing that's open and everyone's kind of into the idea of it, they should do some, like, you know, pull from Alamo Draft House's playbook and, like, yeah. have, you know, themed nights and play old movies and stuff. Um, yeah, that would be cool. That would be yeah, worth absolutely. the hour drive for me. It wasn't worth the hour drive if we were going to go see Onward, which is now on Disney Plus anyways, so. Right. <laughs> it didn't take long. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, speaking of Disney Plus, though, to surprisingly... Because which we can get into, I can't believe this is on Disney Plus. Um, but tonight we are talking about um, a really, a really fun pick from you. We're talking about ten things I hate about you. So yes. tell me a little bit about um, why you picked this, your background with it, why, why it's one of your favorites. So this this movie came out at a time when there were a lot of, I mean, obviously like teen romantic comedies have come out, you know, since the beginning of time and, and you know, it's, it's been a genre in and of itself forever. But this one came out along the, at around the same time period that some of the really raunchy teen comedies came out, like Amer- the American Pie trilogy and stuff like that. And while I enjoyed those movies... This, to me, became sort of my go-to. I can put this movie on at any time. Now, my introduction to it, I really don't even recall how I first saw it, to be completely honest. I mean, this was 21 years ago. It was mm-hmm. my senior year of college, the spring of my senior year of college, when it was theatric- theatrically released. It was in the spring, which to me is always the dead zone of the movie season anyway, when all of the Oscar films and, and critically acclaimed films have have kind of faded into the past and we're not yet to the summer blockbuster season of everything that we're looking forward to. It's like this mm-hmm. two, three month period where there's not a lot of great content coming out. And so I was trying to recall, I was honestly trying to recall, did I see this in the theater? And if I did, where would it have been? Like, it, I guess it would have been with my girlfriend at the time in college. And mm-hmm. But we were in a small college town that only had a four screen movie theater. I can't even imagine that this was playing there. So I feel like the first introduction I had to it was on DVD, maybe as a rental from Blockbuster on the recommendation of a good friend of mine who I know to this day still likes this movie as well. And so I think that that's how I I found it and then just laughed hysterically at it and then I think quickly bought it. And yeah. it's, I call it an aquarium movie. And that to me is a movie that just can be on in the background. And because you've seen it so many times, you can walk into or out of the room, kind of notice it, kind of not, but it's just sort of comforting to have around. And I've always just found it ridiculous and funny. And there's just moments of stupid suspension of disbelief over the the, the storyline and the characters, but one that I've, has just sort of like seen me through many years of my life. Yeah, aquarium movie. That's a good term for it because we all have that same feeling of like I'm gonna put something on in the background while I'm doing something else. That's a that's a good term. I'm gonna, I'm it can't be anything too cerebral. It can't be anything you haven't seen before. It needs to be yeah. something that's like like curling up with a warm blanket, and that is yeah. this movie to me. Yeah, excellent. Um, so uh, it is on Disney Plus, as you mentioned. Yeah, though, which what, I was yeah, I wanted to get about. into that. I, yeah. I mean, I've watched this movie a lot, too. I'm trying to think. I honestly don't remember the first time I watched it either. It was probably... 
in high school at some sleepover or something. I don't know. I've, I'm not sure, maybe middle school sleepover or something, but it just kind of was always in the zeitgeist. Um, and then there was this like really kind of awful TV show spinoff that, uh, ABC Family, now known as Freeform, did for like a season or two, um, which it just, you know, of course was not very good, not very successful, um, which kind of reintroduced me to the movie. And I think I, I never owned it on DVD, but I, I remember, I think, I'm not sure, finding it and watching it. Um, yeah, I, I, I honestly like it, it's still one of my my favorites and, and kind of a guilty pleasure movie of mine. Yet I can't remember the first time. I, I have to think that it was a rental that then I just loved enough to buy and, and watched over and over again. Yeah, yeah. And I'm probably, yeah, I'd say I, I must have probably caught it on, like, HBO or something. Okay. You know, when I was younger. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it quickly, it quickly sets itself apart from other, like, teen comedies, especially 90s teen comedies. Right. Which, you know makes sense it's adapted from a Shakespeare play right so like the plot is inherently better the characters are inherently better just because like it's written by William Shakespeare um it's a PG-13 film as opposed to most of the teen comedies coming out around that time that were a little a little bit raunchy I mean there there were other some some lighter ones as well around that period but yeah I think they were like never been kissed or something like that those mm -hmm. those were kind of or the like lighter can't ones. hardly wait. Which... Can't hardly wait. Yeah, that was a little R. Though. I think that was R, though, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It didn't. It has not aged well. That's for sure. Um, but so yes, this is uh, adapted from William Shakespeare's *Taming of the Shrew*, which I admittedly never read. Although I was really into a few Shakespeare plays when I was in high school, I just never read this one. I'm glad um, you said that because I was so afraid that you were gonna. School me expert on, here. on William no. Shakespeare. <laughs> I have not read it either. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? Also, probably piqued my interest in this when I when I was in high school was when uh, she's the man came out, which okay. is adapted from Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, okay. which I am familiar with, um, having read that one in high school. So, and I think there there's definitely like similarities. I'd say between the two, just because like they're just a better teen comedy. <laughs> For yeah. that reason alone. But I did want to get back to um, the fact that it is on Disney Plus and it is PG 13, although it's not kid appropriate by any it's, means. It's, so, it's definitely not without something that I wouldn't want my daughter to be turning on and watching at 11. I was, I was concerned when I rewatched it that. Like, basically, my sort of rule has been, okay, if you're going to be allowed television time for the next hour, you can pick out anything on Disney Plus that you want. <laughs> and now I'm thinking, well, I guess I can't really just have that as a general rule. Had she picked this, I'd have been disappointed yeah. having rewatched it. It's There's there's enough there to, yeah, to warrant well, like, the rating. From the very beginning, you meet the guidance counselor who's, you know, ironically named Miss Perky, but she, like says some kind of thing about how they're all like shit bags or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> she she's she talks so down to the kids that come into her office. I mean, yeah. were were I an 11-year-old, I'd be a little nervous about going to the guidance counselor if they could be anything like that. Like that's exactly. worse than the principal. Yeah. Well, and then halfway through uh what's his is the character Michael? 
um, Justin Gore-Levitt's best friend, and they, they draw a dick on his face. Yeah, right, <laughs> with a sharpie or something like that. Yeah, yeah it's 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 a, it could be raunchy in parts as well. I mean, I think they're they're discussion. There's like very frank conversation about having sex and stuff, yeah. which. I mean, to me, I, I, you know, that's not so scary, but like, it's, you know, it's adult stuff. It is adult stuff. I mean, I think like the actual conversation between the two sisters about it is treated pretty gently and delicately, Mm -hmm. but there's several references to it throughout. I mean, there's a reference to beer flavored nipples. Like, I I mean, there's, (laughs) there's, there's enough there that I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't want my daughter at 11 to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, you know, Disney plus also recently added all of. The Simpsons, which I wasn't allowed. Well, I guess I kind of was allowed. I just wasn't very interested. But I had friends whose parents did not let them watch The Simpsons when they were little. I mean, it was it. Was, I I think that The Simpsons is so great in in how how everything is tidied up cleanly and kindly and lovingly by the end of the episode. But throughout, I mean, you've got a really dysfunctional family with some really obnoxious kids and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I could see not wanting the kids to watch that either. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just was never really interested in The Simpsons, so who's, who knows if my parents would have been opposed. Um, my brother watched it. I just wasn't very interested. Um, so, yeah, so I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about some of the characters. Um, again... Sorry if you're looking for like a direct adaptation and conversation because neither of us are. Not, we can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do get the gist of what uh, Taming of the Shrew must be like from this yes. movie. But... Well, also, I like there are, of course, like quotes and nods to Shakespeare and um, that kind of stuff, especially with like. Mr. She's called Morgan. a shrew at some She's point. The main shrew. character is called a shrew at one point. Yeah. They even talk about taming her. Like, I mean, yeah. there's little nods here and there. I think uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character directly quotes Shakespeare at some point. Um, and, of course, like, Mr. Morgan, their English teacher, gives them the sonnet, uh, right. the Shakespeare sonnet assignment towards the end of the movie. Um so there's, yeah. And then, of course, her best friend is obsessed with Shakespeare. Right. Which is a fun little bit. Um, it's a cute prom scene themed towards Shakespeare, yeah. Right. Yes. So, yeah, you get you get hints here and there. Um, but, yeah, so speaking of, I want to talk about Mr. Morgan. I think he is a shining star of this movie. <laughs> the he's English he's the English teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's, you sort of get the sense that there's not a single person in that class that he doesn't have a little bit of disdain for. Like, if you suck up to him, he's going to call you out for sucking up to him. If he's, uh, if, if you're, if you're a jock, he's going to call you stupid. Like everybody, he has like a yeah. a teacher stereotype for. Exactly, and he's no shame. Yeah, no, um, none at all. He he kicks he kicks her out of class for agreeing to do the assignment, like and being yes. enthused about it. That's a great scene. He just can't believe that she's actually being appreciative as a student, so he yeah. kicks her out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I'd say, so, yeah, love Mr. Morgan. Um, and then before we get into, like, our, you know, our main characters here, we do need to spend some time talking about the dad. Larry Miller. So funny. I wrote down, I think, six quotes from him as I was watching <laughs> it. <laughs> He's... He's a brilliant comedian. Like he, he has done stand up as a part of his career. So I mean, he, 
he gets some little acting nuances done so well. But I'd love to hear some of your favorite quotes because he is one of my favorite characters. Yes. In the movie. Well, all of his back and forth with the daughters is so brilliant. Um, for, like early on, one of the I think the first time we see him, he says, uh, "Hello, Katarina. Make anyone cry today?" <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then, oh, when she, when she, uh, rams her car into, um, you know, the, the jock guy, (laughs) my insurance does not cover PMS. (laughs) (laughs) Another great line. Yeah. (laughs) Another great line. Um, and then one that I know a lot of people, it's kind of been, you know, turned into a meme, uh. And they, when the girls say, it's just a party, and he goes, and Helen's just a sauna. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> he, I mean, he seems like, obviously, like, they can't stand the situation that they're living under. I mean, he's very, he's, uh, he's recently divorced, and his, his daughters are kind of resentful of him, and one wants to get the hell away, and one is kind of clingy to him, but can't believe she can't date. And so, you know, that's a lot of the, the premise of what the movie is, but he... Every scene he's in pretty much steals. Um, for people that don't know Larry M- Miller, if if you see him, you absolutely know him. He's been a character actor for years yeah. and years. Uh, he was in Pretty Woman, um, but probably best known for like A Mighty Wind and all those other mockumentaries that came out in the 90s and aughts. Uh, the Christopher Guest mm-hmm. uh, cast of characters, he's been in most of those as well. Yeah, I like that they... That he was written, he's uh, he's an OBGYN and a single dad. So that, like, adds to, like, the reason why he's so, like, right. against them dating. And he tells these, like, anecdotes of, you know, these 15-year-old girls who come in and they're pregnant. And they, you know, the scene where he tells them, and she said to me, I wish I'd listened to my dad. And <laughs> Bianca's like, no, she didn't. <laughs> no way. No <laughs> <laughs> way. <laughs> But yeah, that's what that's, she would have said if she weren't so doped up, I think, is his reply. That's what, yeah, that's what yeah. she, she would if she wasn't so doped up. And then at the end, when she wants to go to the dance, it's like, what's going to be going on there? And she's like, just kissing. And he goes, kissing is not what keeps me up to my elbows in placenta every day. <laughs> <laughs> so graphic, but... So <laughs> yeah, he's fantastic. And the and the part written for him is great. I mean, that's, that's excellent casting yeah. right there. Yeah. It's excellent casting. And I think the chemistry between him and particularly Julia Stiles is, uh, is, is really, really top notch. Yeah. Um, they have a really great back and forth. So, um, I know we kind of pre, uh, discussed previously that, uh, if you want to, do a uh, episode on ten things. We're gonna have to take some time to talk about Heath Ledger. <laughs> um, Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's Oscar winner Heath Ledger. Oscar winner Heath Ledger should have seen it coming here. Endlessly dreamy in this role. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the bad boy with a with a sweetheart, of course. Um, of course. Which we've all seen a million times, but like, obviously, this goes back to Shakespeare. So I feel like we can. Uh, <laughs> give it credit for not being a trope. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good call. Good call. I mean, um, I agree with you. Like, it, so I mean, the dude is dreamy. His hair looks great in the movie. Uh, but, but the reality is he was a great actor and you should have seen great things coming for this guy in this movie. Like he, yeah. he it's, he's, it's a great part for him. I think that he's, he's funny and he pulls off both sides of that character very well. Yeah. Well, and this was his first American role. 
Okay. All right. Yeah. I uh, read a little bit of the IMDb trivia before. Um, but yeah, this was his first American role, and um, they were, like, worried that his Australian accent, like, if they should, if he would be able to, like, I guess he couldn't really do an American accent. And he was like, no, I think it just adds to it that I have oh. an Australian accent, so we'll just go with it. <laughs> just a little more exotic. This, yeah. <laughs> this weird guy, yeah, that swooped into the school. Yes. And, of course, one of my favorite musical numbers in a movie, I think, of all time, is uh, uh, You're Just Too Good to Can't Be True. Can't Take My Eyes Off You. Yeah. Can't Take My Eyes yeah, Off You, yeah. 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 Um, he's not a great singer. No. <laughs> but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cute scene, for sure. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Yeah, and I, that's and I think that was like that was one of the first, the first gifts that he'd try to give Cat, having like spent all of the money that he was getting paid to take her out. Like he just kept trying to do something special for her, and I think that was like one of the the earlier ones in the movie, right? Like before mm-hmm. the the bigger things that happen later in the movie. Exactly, um, and that setting. Uh, so it was all shot in Seattle, all locations. Um, mm. That high school is just gorgeous it's over the top i like i really thought that's not a high school and i looked it up and i was like no it's actually a high school in tacoma like that's incredible that stadium is insane yeah that i mean the building itself looks like a castle it's just Mm -hmm. it's just wild yeah it's it it, it, the scenes at the high school are very cool yeah Uh, i I remember watching that and like just wishing my high school looked anything like that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I went to a nice high school. It, it was a public school, but it was a nice high school that looked nothing yeah. like that. Yeah. So did I, but it was just like a boring, big Texas high school. <laughs> Probably also um, had a nice football field then. Well, yeah. I mean, of course, football is everything in Texas. But what about what about Julia Stiles as Cat? Um, what What are your feelings on Julia Stiles? Because I'll say out of the gate, I'm not a fan. So, are you not a fan of her now, or are you not a fan of her as Kat? I guess I, I, think... was not, I was not a fan of her in this era of her career, in this run of movies, and so I even looked it up today to see, what it, does she still act? Is she still in yeah, film? She was and in I, Hustlers. I, I did not see Hustlers, so I didn't know that, and I forgot it's Our biggest completely... fight we had last year was texting <laughs> you about Hustlers, and you refused. <laughs> Seen it. <laughs> I was not gonna see Hustlers, and I forgot that she was in the Bourne movies. So, like, or, or at least one of the Bourne movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd kind of forgotten about that. But back in this era, this was kind of like a run of her career. I think she was in like ten movies in two or three years, or something mm-hmm. like that. That did decently. She even I found out hosted Saturday Night Live in two thousand one. So I think yeah. she was kind of at the the apex of her career then. I don't know what it was about that era of the movies that she was in, including this one, in which I, I don't even, you know, Cat is not a terribly lovable character, mm-hmm. um, but something about her rubs me the wrong way. Hmm. Interesting. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> You're entitled to your wrong opinion. Um, All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but no, I, I think, I think she's perfect as Cat. I think, there is a level of, like, cynicism that she plays well. Um, she Maybe it's that unlikable factor that I think makes her great as Kat because she could be so cold. But, like, I don't know. 
I think that she had really good comedic chemistry with the dad. I think she had good, honest chemistry with Heath Ledger. Um, I, yeah, I can't imagine this role being played by anyone else. And I'm trying to think of actresses around that time that were really big, like Sarah Michelle Gellar could never, Jennifer she wouldn't have been able to pull that off. Yeah, like, you, you know, I, you know, I'm trying to think of just like the top teen movie girls from the late nineties. And I just, I don't see it being okay. played by anyone else. I think, I think that that's, I think I agree with you on that point in that I, I, you know, again, maybe it's just because I've seen the movie a hundred times that I couldn't <laughs> possibly imagine anybody else playing that role. This might be a long shot and a stretch, but I guess I feel like there's two characters in the movie that I think are written so one note and over the top. And I think she's one of them. Okay. And I think Joey Donner is the other one well, yeah. of them. And and I wondered, like, because this is a Shakespeare adaptation and in the age of Shakespearean theater, you had to write characters so large that they could project to an audience without any microphones in some sort of amphitheater and make things right. so over the top that did they were they even try were the were the screenwriters actually trying to do something along those lines, like make them almost Shakespearean characters in a way that you're wearing, you know, the the tragedy or the comedy face mask, right? Like yeah. like something that is just so obviously telegraphed to an audience. I think it might be a stretch, but it, it was it was a note that I wrote down. Yeah, I mean, it is called the taming of the shrew, and shrew is such a harsh word. Um, can only imagine the stage version but I do I do think the writers here did what they could to soften her up a bit we get a few really tender scenes um with her in particular with her and her sister towards the end um and a couple between her and Heath Ledger like you know when they that whole day when she breaks him out of um detention Detention. they go on the paddle boat and then the paintball date and then that whole scene afterwards is very nice. Um, yeah, I've never been on a paintball date and I really feel like I'm missing out. Seems quite the romantic setting. <laughs> Does that still happen? Like, do they, paintball, is that a thing anymore? I guess now it's probably not. Maybe, maybe it was six no months point. ago. <laughs> you know, I couldn't even tell you where a paintball field is. I think yeah. I drove past one once on a highway, like between okay. cities in Texas. I don't know. But I also, like, was paintballing much bigger 20 years ago? Who knows? I, maybe. Like, I really don't know. I didn't go then. I haven't, I haven't <laughs> gone since. Um, we also got to talk about Larissa Olenek, who your friend Richard from Mad About Movies referenced yes. on the Michael Clayton podcast. He didn't remember her name, but she, I guess she was a crush, uh, yes. a, a television crush of I know. Well, from a I show that I've never seen before. I don't remember her name either. Um, so she plays Cat's sister, Bianca. Bianca. Mm-hmm. And was absolutely one of my crushes at the time, too. Like, clearly a reason that I enjoyed watching this movie over yes. and over again. I, I thought she was adorable. She is adorable, and her prom outfit is so stinking cute. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's unique. It's definitely it's, different. Well, it's very 90s. We have to give it that. I think I think that the cuter outfit that she wears in the movie is the one when Kat sees her like 
swinging on a tire swing in their yard and she's wearing like these Mary Janes and doll socks and I'm like I think she wasn't wearing that in the prior scene did she actually like get changed into that dress (laughs) to go out and swing on the tire outside that was that was a little bit weird too but yeah yeah. continuity (laughs) yeah she later had a a brief part in like the final season of Mad Men and I recognized her um like I mean 20 years later I'd not seen her in a single thing but but totally recognized her. Yeah. This and Andy Mack are the only things I remember her from. Okay. But, yeah. Her is Bianca. And, yeah, you might not agree, but I think that prom outfit is iconic. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if, yeah, if, if Megan or Lauren were here, they would totally agree with me. Um, All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, so I do want to... Uh, talk a little bit about the plot of the of Heath Ledger's character being hired to take Cat on a date, um, and it just goes to show that like these things that Shakespeare came up with like very much bled into comedies and romantic stories forever, right? Because mm-hmm. like you think about um, like Romeo and Juliet became West Side Story, yeah, and, or yeah. like a. Um, Oh my gosh, the one with Eliza and Doolittle, My Fair Lady, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you think about like My Fair Lady, which later became another 90s comedy, She's All That, and like other types of very trope things of, you know, there's a bet and then they end up falling in love or like, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, But I don't know, I still love it. It gets me every time. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I, I mean, like, there is there is heartbreak in that moment when when one character feels jilted and doesn't realize that the intentions of the suitor were actually noble and kind mm-hmm. and, and coming from a place of love that, yeah, totally gets me. Like, it, it's, it's heartbreaking. And then, you know, all, usually it ends happy. And, mm-hmm. you know, spoiler alert, this does too. But it's... It's difficult to watch that. Yeah, I will give this movie credit, though. It moves along quickly to the... Yes. Turning, like, she comes around to understand that his his feelings were genuine, you know? Because had they dragged that out more, it just would not have been an enjoyable ending at all. Right. Um, so I will give them credit that, you know, Truth comes out, she's upset, she leaves, but, like, very quickly she's able to understand that, like, he does really care for her. Um, the movie starts really quickly, too. I mean, the exposition in the first five minutes, which is like basically a a walk around of the George, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt character right. who's new to the school. Like, you meet every single character in the first <laughs> six minutes of the movie in like a quick, almost Aaron Sorkin-like walkthrough of yeah. the school. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like that scene in Mean Girls, too, right? Yes. Go, yeah. This is the, you know, the different groups. Yes. Um. Yeah, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is really cute in this. He's young in this. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I didn't love him initially, uh, and I've come around to really respect him as an actor and and, uh, awards show host and whatever he does. I think the movie that really had me on the fence about him was probably 500 Days of Summer, where I just didn't think that he was a... I didn't think that he was a suitable (gasps) romantic interest for Zoe Deschanel. Uh, she's well, my favorite, and so they weren't meant like, to be. 
they weren't, right? And, and ultimately they weren't. But like to me, it was just not believable. And so I'm like, I don't know if I'm, I'm behind this guy, but he's done stuff subsequently where I've become a fan of him as an actor. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I can go back now and watch this and be like, okay, I like him in, in this too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 500 Days of Summer. That's a good one. That's a good soundtrack too. Yeah. This had a good soundtrack. I, w- I wanted to bring that up too. I think so, that it's awesomely curated. Speaking of like quick exposition, the soundtrack does that too. So it opens up on Bare Naked Ladies one week, which is like a top 40 big hit of the time. And right. then the second you see Cat, it like, you know, needle scratch bad, to Bad, bad Reputation. reputation. Yeah. <laughs> and that's which is all a better you song. need to know about Cat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I think that my one the, the point of the soundtrack that I didn't love was the opening song of the Bare Naked Ladies because I felt like even though this was a movie you know, made in 1999 or released in 1999 and that was a top 40 huge top 40 hit at the time almost all of the rest of the music in the movie is like some obscure funk letters to Cleo <laughs> it's letters to Cleo like again a popular band around the time but not not the most popular band around Most the people time. my age wouldn't know who you're talking about when you say Letters to Cleo. I love the Joan Armitrading song uh, that's like the ballad that plays when when Cat's at the music store playing the guitar. Like, that's one, mm-hmm. one of my favorite songs on the soundtrack. It's from the 80s. I mean, this this soundtrack was all over the place, but I feel like, man, did they pick the right songs at the right moments. And most of this stuff, most people wouldn't know. Like, if... If you knew the Bare Naked Ladies and even Letters to Cleo, you probably don't know the rest of the music on this soundtrack. And so I just think that it was a great one to own. Yeah, it's a fun one. And speaking of Letters to Cleo, um, been uh, my friends Megan and Lauren on from on the download. They recently uh, did a like throwback episode on Josie and the Pussycats. Oh, nice! Which, that's a fun rewatch. But I didn't know that it was um, what's your name, the lead singer from Letters to Cleo did all of the vocals for that movie. Oh, I didn't know that either. And I looked up the soundtrack because I couldn't remember what is the band that's playing this other band in the movie and remembered that it was was Cleo, but yeah, I don't remember her name. I mean, they didn't have a ton of music out. They were were a short-lived indie rock, alt-rock band of the era. Yeah, but somehow she, but she got, she got her, uh, she got booked and busy with uh, movie work for like a, few years after that so well good for her i mean i think she's got an awesome voice yeah very very uh punk uh pop female voice right before punk pop blew up right 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 um yeah so i know that you love this movie obviously otherwise we wouldn't be talking about it but um i know that on your podcast you do a little section called what's up with that to kind of go through little criticisms (laughs) that you might have so um do you have any what's up with that moments from 10 Things? Not a ton of what's up with that because I think that like the what's up with that moments that I would come up with are actually things that I laugh about is the ridiculous suspension of disbelief moments. I mean, I already mentioned that I didn't love, you know, how one note a couple of the characters were written. You disagreed with me a little bit about that. I wondered if it was trying to adapt Shakespeare to a, a modern day film. Yeah. Um, one thing that I didn't love were the over-stylized opening titles that I'd totally forgotten about. So while we're going through this... Scratch pen looking. Yes, yeah. right. It's like, like spray paint or something. I couldn't mm-hmm. quite tell. But like they're so huge, it's taking up the whole screen, but it's going over actual filmed action. 
where we're getting this intense six minutes of exposition. And mm-hmm. so I sort of felt like I, I'm not even seeing the faces of the characters because you keep scratching this pen over the 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 screen for these titles. And they yeah. went on for a little while. And so th- that I totally had forgotten about and seemed a little jarring to me watching this time. Um, you know, cat flashing the teacher to sneak her boyfriend out of detention. Like, how is she not arrested? Like, like this is the kind of thing you get expelled for. Like, well, it depends on the teacher. I mean, I, I suppose, like, it just, that would be what's up with that yet just ridiculous suspension of disbelief that you have to go along yeah. with it. He's going to let her walk out the door and then they're going to go on a paddle yeah. boat date later. Well, she's going on on about misdirection and then. Yeah. yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, you know, I guess, you know, there is another what's up with, and of course it had to be this way because it's an adaptation of a Shakespeare story, but the whole dad's premise of offering the deal that Bianca gets to date when Kat does, knowing mm-hmm. that Kat has no interest in dating and will never get a date, mm-hmm. like, seems so hurtful to me to Kat. Like, like first of all, like, I get you don't want Bianca going out with Joey Donner and sleeping yeah. with him. But, like, wouldn't that just have made you cry? Even if you didn't want to date, your dad's saying... Well, you can date as soon as Kat does. Like, I just be like, oh my God, like, that is the my most hurtful thing. My dad thinks I'm never going to, yeah. yeah like, <laughs> that's so mean. Uh, I mean, again, we're, we're adapting a, a Shakespeare True. story here, and, and we can't even comment on what the deal was or the bet was or the prem- yeah. premise was in that first original story of so many years ago. But that to me was just like, a, what's up with that? Like, that, yeah. that's a mean thing to do as a dad. Yeah, it was mean. But I think it also goes to, like, I think he sees him and Kat as more equals. Like, he's not concerned with, like, hurting her feelings. And I think whatever little world building they did that their mom left, I think that he just kind of looks at Kat as, like, an adult. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I also think that it's, I think that it's really... I think it's it's a very touching scene later when he's having the heart to heart with her on the porch and lets her know that he sent in, you know, the tuition check to the college that she wanted to go to on the East Coast. Sarah Lawrence, of course. And and then, you know, I thought the comment was really sweet about how Bianca, her younger sister, still lets him play a few innings. But but Kat has had him on the bench for years. Like, I mean, you can you can sense some hurt and and yeah. you know the the bitter pills he's had to swallow for for a while as well and and I could appreciate that. Yeah. As a dad, do you <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> for certain, yes. Awesome. Well, small criticisms aside, it's still a movie we love. Um so It is a great movie and uh, so directed by Gil Younger and I looked up his filmography. He's done essentially nothing since. Like, it was straight to TV or DVD movies. A few of them are Christmas movies, and I think there were a dozen in total, a couple that were canceled productions. Like, I I was a little bit surprised. Like, I didn't know who had Hmm. directed this movie. Figured I'd see something of note in there, but kind of, this was it and faded away. Yeah. I don't really think about its direction, though, when I'm watching it. No, I guess I just feel like the movie was executed well. So, like, wouldn't yeah. you at least get more better opportunities? He did direct 
several episodes of the television show that you mentioned was a spinoff mm-hmm. of this. I think I vaguely remember that ha- having had happened, but I, yeah. I never saw it and had forgotten for years. Yeah. I know the screenwriters, this was their first script, which crazy to be adapting uh, Shakespeare, but they also went on to write, I know, Legally Blonde, Legally Blonde and yeah. The House Bunny. Yeah. Which both fun female-centric comedies. Legally Blonde, probably a little more smarter. Um, Got a little I more awards love. Yeah. I, love I don't think for Blonde. them, but, but for uh, yeah, other aspects of the movie, but yeah. Um, but yeah, so any final thoughts for 10 Things I Hate About You? No, I just, it, again, it's like, it's one of my, one, one of my, I can pop this in just because I need background noise that will make me smile. Yes, and despite the fact that we're not sure why it's on Disney Plus, we're glad it is. <laughs> At least <laughs> I, can I do am. It anytime I want now. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, <laughs> love. Uh, so yeah. Uh, now I do have a few questions for you. You said you listened to some of the episodes, so hopefully you saw yeah. these coming. Okay. Um, but so this movie aside, because it kind of answers that question, what movie do you like to put on um, to like feel better? Um, I. Like, I guess when I put on a movie to feel better, it's, again, usually something that I'm doing as an aquarium movie. Like, if I'm going to... I will never put on a movie to feel better and then sit down and watch that movie. Like, if I want to watch a movie, I want it to be something that I really want to be immersed in. So, if, you know, I need something in the background to, like, help me work or or keep me focused on something else, which sounds counterintuitive, but, like, having a movie on in the background actually does help me do more productive work. Um, Same. I, I would pick something like sports movie, uh, you know, with, with the happy ending or uh, political thrillers. Uh, a couple that would come to mind would be Moneyball. Um, you know, it's a, Aaron Sorkin has a co-credit on the screenwriting of that. And so I think that the dialogue's just great and Brad Pitt's awesome in it. And the soundtrack, mm-hmm. the score is fantastic. It's a happy ending sort of sports movie. Hoosiers, I'd go to. And then I really like like political thrillers that I've seen over and over and over again and know how they end. Um, I, I like The Firm. <laughs> I like Aaron Brockovich. <laughs> Those would be movies that I'd put in over and over again as well. Funny. Okay. <laughs> I was not expecting I that. I mean, if I really want to be uplifted, though, I'm going to watch Manchester by the Sea again. That one yes. is a laugh a minute. Yeah. Who doesn't need a good destructive? <laughs> just, just everything cry. goes wrong, kind of movie. Yeah, just I need to sob for two hours. Yeah, that's interesting. I thought you were gonna say more Disney stuff because I know that you, you know, are a I, Disney fan. I absolutely do love Disney. It, they're just not going to be my background movies. Like those would be the ones that if I were going to watch, I'd just want to watch. Okay. Yeah. Fair. Um, so, uh, same question, but for a TV show, if there is one for you. Yes, there, there's two. Uh, Friends would be one, and West Wing would be the other. So, kind of mm-hmm. opposite ends of the this genre spectrum. But, again, I think I'm when I need to do that, it's because I just need company for the moment. And, mm-hmm. and Friends and West Wing are two shows that I've seen every episode of a dozen times. And, and will constantly be able to rewatch. I mean... I can't do it with Veep, which is one of my favorite shows, because that show moves so fast with the dialogue. And I couldn't do it with Mad Men, which I loved, because it's really 
kind of cerebral. Slow. Yeah, right? Like, that's, <laughs> that, like, there's moments for long periods of time where you don't even have dialogue sometimes. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it's slow moving. Um, Friends also, I think, probably because that sh- show kind of shepherded me through, like, all of the transformative parts of my life. Like, the first season was my senior year of high school. And then the next four were my college years. Mm-hmm. And then um, it, it was my first job and, and moving away. And, like, I think the final season, I was living in a house that I had built. So, like, it was just, like, this this show that from season yeah. one to season ten had seen me through so many life milestones. A high school graduation, a college graduation, building a house. Um, just important parts of your life. Yeah, sure. Uh yeah, I've never I've never gotten into West Wing, although it's been suggested to me quite a few times. I highly recommend it. Yeah. I'll have to. I'll have to do that. I know that there's the cast is just all still successful actors that I would, you know, right. totally love to Alice see. Including Alison Janney, who was in this yeah, movie. She, yeah. She was who, winning Emmys like crazy back then. Recently forgot that she was in this movie. Somebody yeah. tweeted like a screen shot of that title sequence with her name on it and she was like what is this i, I don't know this. <laughs> <laughs> i mean she shows up in so many movies you forget that she was she, in like she was in juno with her. that like, kind of small so many, yeah yeah like she's another one of those amazing character actresses uh that just keeps getting great work and deservedly so but i mean west yeah. wing was obviously her that that was her gold star i mean she she killed that role yeah I'll have to, I'll have to add that once I finish uh, watching The Wire because I've been going through that during this quarantine. Um, the Wire is solid. Surely. The I, Wire I is was, solid. I'm going. I recently it watched it and was absolutely, totally behind on my TV viewing when I started yeah. The Wire like a year ago. But that's that's solid. Yeah, it's every every so often you get an episode that feels like a movie and you're like, this I can't watch another episode today. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you're sort of spent, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm almost on with season three right now. Um, All right. But so my uh, third question is, what is your favorite bad movie? Yes, I expected this one because I <laughs> have been listening to the other ones. And, and I thought a little while about this, and it, it didn't take me too long to come to the answer. So, <clears throat> um, again, this is a hard one to answer because obviously movies are art and art can be criticized by whomever but you know there's always a differing of opinions on these sort of things so Mm -hmm. who am I to say what a bad movie is versus what a good movie is but I think most people would generally say that the movie I'm about to say would suck because most of them haven't even seen it and it is a remake of the Christmas classic Christmas in Connecticut that was Mm -hmm made directly for TNT television, directed by Arnold Schwarzenegger (laughs) in 1990. And it stars Chris Christopherson and Diane Cannon. Um, And Tony Curtis is in it, too. Tony Curtis actually has a prominent role in it, too. It is so bad. Like, it it is just hokey and cheesy. And, I mean, the original Christmas in Connecticut with, like, Barbara Stanwyck from the 40s is a hokey premise, too. But this is is a really ridiculous remake, but is absolutely solid. That is the most random thing I think you could have said. <laughs> I, I mean, like it 
it is as, as if as if somebody took a picture of 1990 and that's all you get to see through the whole thing like that the sweaters are horrible the the costumes are horrible everything about it is just cheese but it's a christmas movie and i love christmas movies so that would be my favorite bad movie there you go yeah christmas movies are rife with uh it's not good but i yeah. love it yeah yeah that's a that category itself is is very much like that um Okay, and then my final question, my favorite one. Uh, who was your first movie character crush? I guess, or TV character. Yeah, this one was easy as well. Like, I, I could answer immediately. It was Drew Barrymore in E.T. Like, I think I saw that movie. Like, you were also six... little, right? I was, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's a year older than me. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I saw it in the theater when it was released. And I mean, that movie was... That was in the theater for a long time and then re-released at, at least mm-hmm. a few times in the ensuing years um, or like within the next couple of years. And yeah, that that was my first movie character so like crush. Little tiny Mike having a little crush. <laughs> that was it. Yes. Oh, that's actually really sweet. <laughs> I mean, it was I think she was just so endearing because she was she was the one that really worried about taking care of E.T. And, like, yeah. the, the brothers were both concerned and what are we going to do here? But, like, she just kept treating the alien as a pet and it was so cute. Yeah. That's adorable. I love that. She gone, She went through a rough spell after that, but uh, it, back back then she was hey. cute and endearing. Yeah. Yeah. Famously bounced back, though. Yes. Um, yes. Uh so, well, thank you for coming on the show. Um, well, thank you for having me. This is a, a lot fun of fun. Time. Yes. Uh, and uh, I hope we can collaborate again on our, ver- on our various podcasts. Um, I would love to. But yeah, so you can uh, listen to Mike on uh, Spoiler Alert. Um, it's available on iTunes and it's on iTunes. Apple. It's on Overcast. Yeah, or Apple Podcasts and, and Overcast and Stitcher. Um. You can go to our uh, website at movieoutsiders.com and stream them there as well. Okay. Excellent. And I know you're not really on social media. We're, we're not good about it. <laughs> so we'll, <laughs> we'll skip it for now. You're going to have to help me with that. <laughs> All right. I might have to take over your social media. <laughs> <laughs> we will be happy to delegate that to you. <laughs> All right. And uh, you can find uh, this show uh, on Instagram at lovethatmoviepod, on Twitter at lovethatunderscoremovie. I am on Twitter at Ellen Tudus. That's E L L E N T O U D O U Z E, and Instagram at Ellen Toodles. Um, yeah. Until next time, I will see you later. Bye.